Each and every one of us have received mail one way or the other. With the increasing ability to shop online through things like Amazon, we've come to trust our government and mailing systems. Due to the trust that we have, it only took some time before someone decided to exploit it. In March of 2018, someone did. Welcome to Murder Avenue. Some of you might have heard of names that correlate with this, such as Ted Kaczynski or Timothy McVeigh to a certain extent, I guess, maybe. No, because I think he only did one bombing, so he's not a serial. So Ted Kaczynski is a perfect example. But over 19 days and six bombs, one city was under attack. Austin, Texas is the 11th largest city in the United States and is home to around 950,000 people. It's billed as the live music capital of the world. The city is known for its vibrant art cultures and for hosting some of the biggest festivals in the U.S. You might have heard of one such as South by Southwest. Now despite being such a large city, Many people do feel safe in Austin as the crime rate is much lower than many of the other cities in the state, such as Houston or Dallas. On the morning, though, of March 2nd, so much would change that. Around 7 a.m., a call went out to 911 Hey, uh, I don't know what's going on, the caller said. My neighbor, uh, something exploded. He's, there's blood everywhere. We need an ambulance immediately. Sean Phillips, the neighbor of the victim, pleaded. Officers do arrive on the scene quickly at 111 to uh, Haverford Drive in Harris Ridge, which is a suburb north of Austin. It's a very nice, nice house, I'm sure, a very nice neighborhood. And the victim, who had been severely injured and wasn't breathing, was quickly attended to by responding officers and was raced to the hospital. He would die soon after. The victim was identified as 39-year-old Anthony Stephen House, a senior project manager for Texas Quarries. He was a lifelong Texas resident and had left behind a wife and an eight-year-old daughter. Authorities immediately began their investigation, but initially thought 
it might have been an accident. Like the guy just goes outside, there's a package there, and he forgot that he ordered an explosive. What kind of accident is that? However, this didn't take long for the shrapnel and other indicators to tell them, hey, this is a bomb. This is not an accident. Ultimately, it was determined that House picked up a package that was on his front porch, and upon doing so, it exploded. The explosion caused severe blast injuries to his torso, head, and the amputation of his hands and lower arm. The reverberation of this blast was heard from over three blocks away. And due to the nature of the crime, the Austin Bomb Squad, FBI, and ATF came to investigate. Initially, it was theorized that this was an isolated incident and that House was speci specifically targeted. The APD Narcotics Task Force had conducted a raid on a drug house on the same street. And they seized a large amount of cash from this house, so they had thought might be some connections here. The Stash House and Mr. House's resident actually looked very similar. It was thought that he was killed as a result of mistaken identity by the criminals who owned the money that was seized. So they went to get their money back and left the package at the wrong house. Assumingly. Now, for several days, authorities would continue to pursue various leads, including that House had built the bomb himself for some reason and actually detonated it. That's where the accident comes in. He decided to build a bomb, put it in a box, and then open it himself, because, you know. On the morning of Monday, March 12th, police were notified that another explosion had occurred. My grandson is hurt. My daughter's hurt. Please hurry. Sandra Jones sobbed into the phone. 911 dispatchers. Authorities rushed to the scene at 4806 Old Fort Hill Drive in the suburb slightly north of downtown Austin. Another beautiful home. Jones also told dispatchers that they opened a package from outside and exploded in the house. When authorities arrived at the scene, they found a devastating sight. The interior of the kitchen was completely destroyed and was covered in blood. 17-year-old Draylon Mason, an aspiring orchestra player, was pronounced dead at the scene. His mother, Shamika Wilson, was severely injured. Bombings are extremely uncommon in the U.S., so authorities immediately suspected this attack was connected to the first bombing. According to the Austin police chief, Brian Manley, the incident was, and I quote, the moment I knew our city was under attack. As the bomb squad and federal investigators began to arrive at the scene, a third bomb exploded miles away. We all happen to have that same thing of like, oh, a package, wow. That's surprising. I mean, and nowadays we're getting them so much more often where you're just, you open it and that's it. I mean, back then it was more of a surprise thing. You rarely got an actual piece of something that needed to be shipped in a box. And when that thing happened to show up on your front porch, it was special. It was different. You're like, oh shit, this this could what I mean, what could it be? So the excitement into opening it was just a rush. And now 
it's so much more common for people to get packages or send packages. It's easier. But it's not happening like it was back then. There's obviously better stipulations. It's a lot harder to get something ominous through the mailing system. Has to be. Now, 70-year-old Esparza Herrera of Montopolis, Austin, Texas, picked up a cardboard box that had been left outside her elderly mother's home. The package detonated as she was walking up the front steps, throwing Herrera to the ground and peppering her with the shrapnel. She was lifted to the nearest hospital in grave condition, but would later survive after undergoing 14 surgeries. Investigators arrived. They found shrapnel all over the street and the yard which that's just telling you how big the explosion actually is. Now, at that point, the FBI advised Chief Manley that they had a serial bomber on their hands. During a press conference, Manley stated that they were unable to identify a specific victimology or ideology associated with the attacks, but they did I- identify a methodology. We understand at this point is that early this morning, one of the residents went out front and there was a package on the front doorstep They brought that package inside the residence, and as they opened that package, both victims were in the kitchen, and the package exploded, causing the injuries that resulted in the young man's death and the injuries to the adult female. The incident is very similar to the incident that occurred in Austin back on March 2nd, and if you'll remember, that incident also occurred in the morning hours when uh, the victim in that case went out front and found a package on their front steps that exploded, uh, causing that in- individual's death. That, in- that case was being investigated as a suspicious death. It is now being reclassified and is now a homicide investigation as well. And as I've said, we do see similarities and believe that these cases are linked at this time. However, we don't know what the motive behind these may be. We do know that both of the homes that were the recipients of these packages um, belong to African-Americans, so we cannot rule out that hate crime is at the core of this, but we're not saying that that's the cause as well. We're just acknowledging and we're looking at any possible motivations that would link these two cases together. If you've received a package that you were not expecting, that is not from someone that you expected to receive a package from, or for some reason gives you cause for concern, then call 911 until we've gotten to the bottom of this and cleared these cases. We are not going to tolerate this in Austin, and you have seen every stop will be pulled out, and the federal agencies have all jumped in with us to lend us a hand and to bring this to as quick of a resolution as possible. They also find out that all of these packages were in similar cardboard boxes and they were all posted to be delivered to those specific dates. So the male person who was delivering these delivered them exactly how they were supposed to be delivered and to the addresses they were supposed to be delivered to. Unfortunately, the mailman, male person, didn't know that the, uh, the package they were shipping was ultimately going to cause someone's death. How could you? I mean, to be able to, to even think that a male person was delivering this is kind of crazy because most of the packages were left right on the front steps. So to me, that tells me that somebody's hand delivering them and 
with this this most recent case with uh Asparza Herrera, she just just minimal movement of her with the package caused it to explode. Therefore, a mailman or male person couldn't have been delivering these packages. They were placed there. They had to be, right? Now, due to the random nature of all of these crimes, all of these bombings that have happened, everybody felt like they could be the next victim. Any package on their doorstep could potentially be an IED. And how scary is that? You heard the officer say, or the sheriff or whatever, you heard him say that, you know, if you weren't expecting this package or whatever package you got, don't open it. You know, don't mess with it. Call 911. If you weren't expecting a package and it shows up, don't open it. But that's where I say, back then, everybody was interested. I mean, even still today, people are excited when they get their packages. It's like Christmas. But to get a package you weren't expecting is even more, <laughs> more exciting for sure. Now, the police also had mentioned the possibility of a hate crime being taken place and they investigated that. The first two victims were black, and the third was Hispanic, and in a historically Hispanic neighborhood. Due to the lack of the leads at the time, many seasoned investigators feared the repeat of other famous serial bombers that took decades to solve, such as Ted Kaczynski, as we mentioned prior, who is also known as, known as the Unabomber. He went uncaptured for over 18 years, as well as Eric Rudolph, the Olympic Park bomber, who was on the run for five years. Many of the residents felt this fear too, and as a result, over 700 tips and reports of suspicious packages were reported in just one week. I mean, that's so many. That's so many different packages. I mean, that's just so many calls of people just being like, yeah, you know, this is, this. I think I got a package in the mail, it's from my aunt. People were probably calling about packages that weren't even that large. Authorities went on to advise residents not to touch any of the packages that they, that they didn't order and to call police immediately. But unlike so many bombers, the Unabomber, specifically, this killer didn't leave any notes or communicate at all with the police, making the attack seem that, more, that much more random. Because if we remember about Kaczynski, he was, he was in a sense taunting the, the investigators. He wrote an entire manifesto. Like a lot of law enforcement agencies, when things like this happen, they do eventually create a task force. A task force in this situation specifically made to catch the bomber. The task force was created a few days after the third bombing, and the press conference, they asked him or her to please contact them before anyone else got hurt. So they went on TV trying to communicate with the, the perpetrator. And I, I, unlike movies, I don't know how many criminals like this are sitting there watching TV waiting for somebody to talk about them. Does it happen often? I don't know. Despite the pleas from the authorities, the bomber continued placing his devices because on March 18th, 16 days after the first attack, another attack occurred about seven and a half miles away from downtown Austin. 
At 8.30 p.m., APD received a call for an explosion in a residential neighborhood. A huge police response of local police, the Federal Task Force and EMS soon took place on the scene, which was a neighborhood sidewalk. Police observed a bicycle in the roadway, two men on the ground in the grass nearby. And only took one look for the authorities to know that they had another bombing on their hands due to the fact that the wooden fence running next to the sidewalk was scarred heavily in the shrapnel. As officers used their flashlights to comb the area, they made an alarming find. There was a tripwire strung across the sidewalk. Authorities immediately retreated until the bomb squad was able to clear it. The two men, who were both in their 20s, were taken to local hospitals, but survived with serious injuries. As bomb technicians scoured the scene, they found that the bomb was different than the others. Previous bombs that were in packages, this particular bomb was a tripwire activated. The bomb was concealed by a realty sign with a three-inch tripwire stretching across the sidewalk and connecting to a sign, Children at Play. It was theorized that the bomber switched up his method as a response to the, to the press conference where the police described his methodology. So right there tells you that, oh, this guy must be listening. He's watching the news. He wants to know what you that you're fearing him. Now this also disproves a theory that they were racially targeted attacks. Because this attack took place in a predominantly white neighborhood, and both victims were white. This attack only terrified Austin residents even more. Now, like I said, anybody's a possible victim. Police warned the public of a serial bomber possessing a higher level of sophistication, a higher level of skill than initially thought. of the explosion that took place in this neighborhood last night. Uh, again, I'm Brian Manley, Chief of Police of the Austin Police Department. Fred Milanowski, the Special Agent in Charge for the ATF. Christopher Combs, the Special Agent in Charge of the FBI. Troy Gay, an Assistant Chief with the Austin Police Department. Again, we're here for an incident that began last night at approximately 8.32 when we had an explosion take place in the neighborhood behind us. That explosion injured two people that were walking along the side of the road. Those individuals are currently in a local hospital. They are a 22 and 23-year-old males, both Anglo males. They are both in the hospital right now. They are in stable condition, but they did receive significant injuries from the explosion that took place. Where we are right now, we have made the scene safe this morning. As you all know, we held the scene last night, given that it was dark and given that we believe that a tripwire may have been in effect on this device, given the safety concerns that gave us for not only this neighborhood, but for all of the public safety professionals that are here working this, we held the scene overnight so that we could process it in daylight in a much safer way. Now, I, I happen to be one of those people that spends many of the early morning and very late night hours awake and I've always kind of wondered what it would be like to happen to be just looking outside 
or hear a noise that makes you look outside and you see something strange going on, but you don't say anything. Days go by, weeks go by, and then you find out somebody's dead or something crazy has happened and you feel like you might have information. But to know that you saw something and didn't say anything only to find out that something horrible happened, that's got to be messed up. So I I only bring that up because imagine being awake at 3.30 in the morning and you see somebody rolling a trash can down the street or something, right? Like you're not going to think much of it, but it is going to stand out because it's odd. And it's only going to mean more when you find out, oh, that trash can had a body in it. What the fuck? I saw I saw him. That's what? But imagine seeing... Because this is really intricate work here. To... To sit down and... Rig up this... Wire... Across the sidewalk... Behind a realtor sign... And... Like, that's a lot of work. And they had to do it in the cover of darkness. There's no other way. So this person did this, and you can't tell me that there's not one person that happened to be around that area that would have seen this. Just see some guy doing something weird. Not think anything of it, only to find out the next day he was setting up a bomb. Horrible. But we'll be back in just a few seconds with the word from our sponsor. Hey everybody, we just want to take a second away from the show to let you know about a brand new sponsor. Miss Wickman's Palm Readings. That's right. Are you not living in your present? Are you concerned about your future? Are you worried about how your past affects your present? Well, visit misswickmanspalmreadings.com and schedule your appointment today. Remain socially distant, but remain aware of the now. Miss Wickman's Palm Readings is 100% an amazing deal. It's something that I fully invest in, something that makes me know for sure what to expect in my future and my present and my past. All of these things. She's she's phenomenal. Check it out today. MissWickmansPalmReadings.com. Use the promo code SOMETHING for 10% off. So at this point, police were essentially back at square one. All the theories that they had thought that they knew... <laughs> weren't right. Despite the setback, though, two days later, police would finally catch a break. The next attack, however, would up the stakes immensely. In the dead of the night of March 20th, 2018, two days after the last bombing, another attack took place. Now, unsimilar to the others, this one did not go the way the bomber had hoped. Just after midnight, the task force was alerted that a bomb detonated at FedEx in Schertz, Texas, a town that was outside of San Antonio. The package handler was handling a box postmarked for Austin when it exploded, severely injuring them with shrapnel, including nails and ball bearings. Luckily, the handler survived. Okay, so here's my thing. I was thinking... This person was taking and delivering these bombs themselves right to the doorstep because in my mind that makes more sense than traveling through the mail system with a bunch of different people touching it. 
and having it, it having the package explode long before it ever arrives at the location. How do you time that out? Like this is some legit engineering of a bomb if you can time it out to go through the mail, be touched, dropped, moved by 16 other people before it arrives at the location and not explode. Well, you that's a great that's great engineering. Because I was thinking, like, it, it would make more sense for the bomb to, like, the one lady simply took a few steps and it exploded. How is it not happening more often at FedEx or, you know, UPS? When authorities ro- arrived at the scene, they faced a daunting task as the facility had tens of thousands of unopened packages. Any one of them could p- potentially contain a bomb. Now, instead of just placing the bombs by hand, they were instead sending them through the mail, like I said, meaning they had the potential to reach anywhere in the U.S. and affect anyone. We begin with breaking news, a new new package explosion overnight in Texas, this time was at a FedEx facility outside San Antonio. One person was injured, a law enforcement source says. It appears a package was mailed from Austin, and it was also due to be delivered to Austin. The blast went off at a FedEx ground facility in Schertz, about an hour from the state capitol. The FBI says it's more than possible the new explosion is related to the recent bombings in Austin. Four explosions have killed two people and injured four others. The latest was Sunday night. Omar Villafranca is in shirts near the FedEx facility where the latest bomb exploded. Omar, good morning. Good morning. We just learned that FBI and ATF agents are on the scene behind me at this facility. They're going through some of that bomb debris to see if there's any matching components, a signature that would link this bomb with the four bombs in Austin. Austin's Travis Country neighborhood was on lockdown Monday as investigators scoured the area for clues. The FBI has brought in over 350 special agents to work here. It's an unprecedented response. Debris from Sunday's blast stretched across an entire street. A tripwire was used to set off the explosion. While police say that's a significant change from the first three targeted attacks, Interim Chief Brian Manley says the evidence appears to be connected. We're seeing similarities between some of the components that are used to construct the device. You can hear Sunday's bomb detonate in this home security video. We want all video because we would look for similarities, we would look for connections, we would look for anything that might lead us to identifying the suspect or suspects. With no arrests and the attacks continuing, Austin Mayor Steve Adler worries about his city. What do you do? You can't tell population size to stay inside until we catch this guy. No, but what you can tell people is that they should be vigilant. During a press conference Sunday afternoon, Manley directly addressed the bomber. It's kind of funny that he says we can't tell people to stay inside until we catch this person. And yet, we're all stuck inside because of a pandemic. So I guess you can. I guess you can tell people (laughs) to stay inside. And speaking of the pandemic, Texas is one of the first places to open. And now close. So, 
Continuing on, this was a situation described by many as the sum of all fears for law enforcement and a nightmare scenario. Thankfully, police were alerted to the presence of a second bomb at an Austin FedEx facility before it exploded. The manager of the facility found that the package in question was out on the loading docks about to be sent out for delivery. The facility was evacuated and the Austin bomb squad rushed to the scene. They dispatched the bomb via robot and went to investigate it using x-ray technology. The bomb squad confirmed that it was the same bomb construction as the others and they successfully defused it. Since they now had a complete bomb in the package, the task force could finally get some definitive leads. Fingerprints, you know, the construction of the bomb is also going to help lead to a possible arrest by saying this was bought here, that was bought there, whatever the, you know. Uh, one of the first things they did look into was the tracking number on the box. The tracking number led them to a FedEx store in Sunset Valley, Texas. Agents interviewed the staff at the store and combed the security footage. After hours of searching, they identified a probable suspect based on the surveillance footage. And this also helps because the idea is, oh, you get to see the shape of the box that has the bomb, and by watching security footage of somebody walking in with that same shape, boom, boom, one and two, and we're out there. Now, based on the footage, they could tell that the person was wearing a disguise, including hat and gloves. The employee later recalled that he found the outfit the man was wearing was so odd, he followed him to the door. He noticed that he had parked his car several businesses away from the store. The employee told the police that he was driving a red Ford Ranger. Now, at this point, obviously, the investigation dramatically ramps up. The realty sign that the bomb had been hidden behind with the tripwire was not normally there and was instead purchased by the bomber and placed there. It was determined by a local vendor that only six of those signs had been sold in the last 90 days. So there you go. That's another thing I was saying about finding something that was used to create the bomb, finding out when it was purchased or where, and one and two equals three. <laughs> uh, investigators also determined that many of the bomb components had been purchased from a local Home Depot in Round Rock, Texas. The pink gloves the mystery man was wearing were also determined to come from the same store. The sign and gloves were purchased at the same time, so investigators... One and two, and here you are. With this information they found when the transaction had been made and searched the surveillance footage, and there you go, there's the guy. The person identified in the surveillance footage was not wearing a disguise, so police now have the description of the man who looked to be in his early 20s. Because how are you going to wear a disguise when you haven't got the disguise? And also, that's a really big sign, you know, that he ended up purchasing. It's a large sign. It looks large. It's easily visible on camera. Now, footage from the store captured him getting into the Ford, the red Ford truck. Forensic analysts also determined the explosive mixtures used to make the bombs were simple household ingredients. They cross-referenced records of purchases of the items, the ingredients, which eventually narrowed down a list of 12 individuals. And only one of those individuals drove a red Ford Ranger. His name, Mark Anthony Condit. We'll find out more about Mark right after this.
Hey guys, just want to take a second to tell you about another amazing sponsor. Are you tired of taking your dog out for a walk and having to pick up after him? You get those tiny little blue bags you have to fill with this dog's make. Now you love your dog. The whole neighborhood loves your dog, but they hate his poops. Well today, this episode is brought to you by Dog Diamonds. That's right, Dog Diamonds is not jewelry for the dog, but it is ingestible diamonds for your canine friend. That's right, your dog gets to eat this canine diamond kibble and have the most luxurious shits you've ever seen. Stop picking up after your dog and simply let those shit diamonds lay in the yard. Dog Diamonds. Visit dogdiamonds.com and use the code SOMETHING for 20% off today and never clean up after your dog again. And now, back to the show. Mark Anthony Condent, born in 1994, was raised in Pflugerville, Texas, which is just outside of Austin. He had no criminal record and was from a very religious Christian family. He attended local community college but dropped out despite even having good grades. He wrote a blog post in 2012 stating he was a conservative but was not politically inclined and argued for the death penalty and against same-sex marriage. Mark Anthony Condit was identified 18 days after the first bombing by the police as their prime suspect. Condit moved out of his parents' home a few years before the attacks and lived with two roommates. He worked as a technician for Crux Manufacturing, but he was fired in 2017. Due to the rapid and escalating nature of the attacks, police made a full-court press effort to capture him. They tracked down his home address and to the address of his family members and associates and began staking them out to determine where he was. Police suspected Condit was on the run. He stayed away from his house and kept his cell phone turned off. However, around 1 a.m., on March 21st, Condit turned his cell phone on in order to search for the news related to the attacks. So like we said, this is a guy who's actually paying attention to the news. He wants to find out what people say about him. He wants to know that the city or the town is in fear, the state. You know, he wants the no notoriety for it. You know, I will say, I've always wondered how certain killers feel about other killers. For instance, does, or I guess you, you'd have to speak hypothetically in a lot of these situations because many of them are dead, but would Ted Bundy like Jeffrey Dahmer? Would Ed Gein be a fan of um, Ed Kemper, right? Would John Wayne Gacy, and then also you got to think about the different type of killers. Would someone who's killed people like this by sending packages that explode? Would a serial killer who who uses, um, you know, strangulation as their M.O., would they be a fan of somebody that sends bombs to kill people? It's, it's a weird psychology that I feel like only a crazy person would want to know. So there we are. No, it is weird though, right? You have to wonder what they would what they would be like in the same room. Because as far as the Netflix show Mindhunters tells us, 
Uh, Ed Kemper definitely had a way, if we can say that. But would would Ed Kemper like like um, Mark Anthony Condon? Would they be friends? I don't know. But at this point, police were using various triangulation techniques to ping phone locations. And they did eventually track down Mark's location to a Courtyard Marriott Hotel in Round Rock, Texas, which is only north of Austin. So he didn't even really go that far. And he was so intrigued with what he was doing and people talking about him that he turned on his phone, which got him caught. Nobody ever said criminals were smart people. The FBI was first to arrive on the scene and took up undercover positions in the parking lot. As agents looked around the parking lot, they spotted Condit's other vehicle, a red SUV, and radioed back to the command post that the target had been located. At that point, many tactical teams arrived on the scene. A police helicopter focuses in on Condit's vehicle, and the agents didn't want to spook Condit, so they stayed hidden and set up a perimeter. They assumed Condit was somewhere in the hotel, but that assumption was wrong. He was actually in his vehicle which was idling in the parking lot. An FBI SWAT member later recalled the moment and said his heart was racing. He says, we were prepared for anything. We didn't know if there was anything in the car or did he wire up the vehicle or what? So agents laid in wait, wondering what would happen next. Condon suddenly backed up the vehicle and quickly started to drive out of the lot. ADP and SWAT took lead and followed Condon's car out of the hotel from a distance. He proceeded southbound and stopped at an intersection near Old Settlers Boulevard and I-35. The lights upwards of five undercover vehicles and armored Bearcat pulled up behind him, alerting Condit of their presence as if he didn't know. And once the light turned green, Condit took off towards I-35. Authorities realized they needed to disable the vehicle in a safe manner, but it would be hard given the potential of explosives in the car. The dude knew how to make bombs. An undercover van quickly got in front of Condit's car and stopped while another undercover van pinned his vehicle from behind. The van's door slid open and SWAT members hopped out and surrounded the vehicle. One of the officers runs up to the passenger side window of Mark's car and begins hammering it with the butt of his rifle. And boom, a blast of fire and shrapnel exploded from within the vehicle, knocking many of the officers down. And the officer trying to break the window takes shrapnel to his face, but none of the officers were injured.
intersection southbound, still on uh, frontage from Old Settlers. Look for the laser. I got it on him. Alright, uh, Vans made contact with him. Vans made contact with him. Got an explosion. Got an explosion inside the vehicle. So Mark doesn't survive the explosion, but you have to wonder when you actually watch the video, you don't, it just didn't look like that big of an explosion to kill him. I don't think instantly at least. I don't think it went quick. Though in his mind, he probably thought it did. But like any of his victims, it wasn't quick. They didn't die instantly. So he kind of got a, got the best taste of his own medicine, but at his own hand. Now additional officers peered inside the bombed-out vehicle and saw that Connor was dead due to suicide bomb that had de detonated. The bomber was dead, but the threat still lived on. The threat was still there because authorities didn't know if there was more bombs in his house, in the mail, being shipped. I mean, what was what's next? Where's where are things gonna? Where are things going to go from here? Because the mail the mail is backed up, right? That's what we always hear. The mail is always you always got mail. There's always there's always something in there. You don't go to to work at the mail and there's no there's nothing to send. There's nothing to put put in a truck or put right? It seems like there's always something to be shipped. suspect and we ultimately located the vehicle that this suspect was known to be driving and witnesses told us he was driving and in fact we found that at a hotel right up the road here in Round Rock. We had multiple officers from both the police department and our federal partners that took up positions around the hotel awaiting the arrival of our tactical teams because we wanted to have ballistic vehicles here so we could attempt to take this suspect into custody as safely as possible. While we were waiting for those vehicles to get here, much time had passed and the vehicle started to drive away. We began following the vehicle, again waiting to get the tactical uh, vehicles here so we could take this, uh, make a stop. However, the vehicle ended up stopping in the bar ditch on the side of the road behind us. As members of the Austin Police Department SWAT team approached the vehicle, the suspect detonated a bomb inside the vehicle, knocking one of our SWAT officers back, and one of our SWAT officers fired at the suspect as well. The suspect is deceased uh, and has significant injuries from a blast that occurred from detonating a bomb inside his vehicle. We cannot name the suspect at this time because he has not been positively identified yet by the medical examiner and next of kin have not yet been notified. So there will be a lengthy investigation that will take place regarding the officer involved shooting, the 
investigation will be conducted by the Austin Police Department's Internal Affairs Unit with the Austin uh, Police Monitor participating as well for a review of compliance with departmental policy. There will be a concurrent criminal investigation that will take place by the Texas Rangers of the incident that occurred here tonight. Again, this is the culmination of three very long weeks for our community. And throughout these weeks, we've talked about the importance of remaining vigilant and looking out for each other. So, yeah, as you see, as you hear, I guess I, I'd rather say, it's there's still a lot to do, it feels. I mean, with the amount of packages that were at the, the first place that the, the bomb exploded before it ever left, I mean, <laughs> just that's so much work. The next morning, the FBI, SWAT, and Travis County Sheriff's raided Condit's home. They found additional material for even bigger bombs, along with the disguise that he wore to the FedEx building. Condit's phone was also found in his vehicle, and police found that he had recorded a 25-minute manifesto on it. Although it's never been released to the public, authorities stated that Condit never explained his motive, and simply stated that he was a psychopath who liked killing people and had no remorse. The case was officially closed, with no motive ever determined. So I did say how, like, the explosion in the vehicle didn't seem large enough to kill him quickly. You heard the office, the sheriff, or what, I, I can't, I don't pay enough attention, but <laughs> the guy said that officers fired shots also. So there you go. He ended up, you know, making a bomb, exploding it. I mean, he looks like a relatively, like I said, some of these guys have, typical characteristics that make them look evil or look like they would do evil and this dude looks like a kid like a straight up kid and he went through all this planning and killed innocent people from afar like I feel like this is very cowardice but it's been Murder Avenue guys Mark Anthony Condit a serial bomber that doesn't look anything like a Ted Kaczynski or a Timothy McVeigh. But that goes to tell you, you never know who the bad guy is going to be. Thank you for listening. Until next time.